I believe that everyone has the power to be the person that they want to be. Um, it's not always an easy road, but it's always possible. I think that if you, whatever it may be, maybe you want to go do uh, maybe gravel rolls or something like that, and you think, I can never ride 150 miles, you know, challenge yourself to, to, to go do it, and you'll be surprised at what you can accomplish. You're listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of a life fully optimized with Megan Hoppin. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to this episode of the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Mode Sports Nutrition. Their website is myfitmode.com myfitmode.com. Mode is a natural sports nutrition company and their vision is to empower athletes of all disciplines to get the most out of their potential while promoting a healthy lifestyle. Um, Yeah, that sounds exactly like the theme of this show. And it is not ironic then that I happen to just love these products. I got hooked on them back in the spring. It started with my obsession with their energy shots. They make both blocks drink mixes as well as pre-mixed drinks. And it was the power drink, specifically the re-energizer shot that made me a true believer. I struggle with muscle cramps in my legs after long, hot endurance events. And whatever it is about these re-energizer shots, I swear it is magic. I've been using these shots for all of my long gravel races this year, as well as long training rides. In fact, Dirty Kansas is the perfect example. I had zero muscular cramps anywhere. Triceps, fingers, legs, calves, face, you name it. There were no muscle cramps. And um, I carry these little orange mango tasting shots with me on big rides and during big races. And so far, I have 100% success um, with these products along for the ride. I am also a big fan of the blocks. They make these all natural ingredient energy blocks. They call them raw energy, and they are either blueberry and coconut, mango and apricot, or chocolate and walnut. Quite frankly, they are all my favorite. All of them have just a little bit of energizer in them, usually a little bit of ginseng or something similar, but they are raw energy. You can actually pronounce the ingredients, and they are packaged in these really perfectly sized little plastic wrappers that make it super easy to just grab a couple bites of the bar and then put it back in your pocket. A big believer of these products big believer in this company i love their owner she um just a quick story i ordered online too late to get the product that i needed in time for dirty kanza and i told her how important it was because i was really worried about muscle cramps the owner actually took the time and effort to get those products overnighted to me to my hotel in tiny town emporia kansas and it was a large part of my success at this year's Dirty Kanza race in the single speed. So now I don't let myself go dry. I always make sure I've got some of their product on hand. I'm a huge believer. Check them out. They're offering a discount to our listeners too. If you use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N at checkout, you'll save yourself some money. It is all refrigeration required. So it will come to you in a cooler pack and you want to stick that stuff in your fridge as soon as it arrives. Again, check them out on the website, myfitmode.com and use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N at checkout to save yourself some cash.
Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. I am really excited about today's show. I think you're going to enjoy it. This is an interview with a DA here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I should say county attorney here in Lincoln, Nebraska. His name is Dan. And we had occasion to meet through working on a mutual um, client's case where I serve the cyclist who was injured by a drunk driver and Dan was the county attorney at the time handling the criminal side of things. So we connected by Facebook and we exchanged some messages about really just the difficulty of seeing really hard things and yet continuing on both with a positive outlook as well as um, overcoming the fear that you know those types of bad things could also happen to us and specifically in the realm of cycling collisions and seeing the things that we both see in the course of our jobs and yet still going out and doing the thing that we love most, which is riding our bikes. So uh, Dan invited me on a tour of Lincoln. We went on a nice hour, hour and a half bike ride this morning and it was all on bike trails. We got to just chat about life and you know, pivotal moments in our lives, and Dan um, shared some of those really cool stories with me, which I then wanted him to expound upon during the podcast. And so I hope that you'll find this one of benefit and of value to you. I think he's a really tremendous character and leader and um, just a, a man of really great integrity and morality, and it was such a joy and an honor to talk to him. Truly one of those people that is changing our world one day at a time, serving the victims of crimes and things that shouldn't happen to people but do and um, you know just always the guy with the smile on the face and the the broad shoulders that can bear some of that stress and some of those responsibilities so enjoy the show today with the county attorney iron man dan all right, listeners, welcome back. We are here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I'm here with my friend Dan. I'm going to have you say your last name for me, Dan. Zig. Zig. Dan and I met because he is a county attorney here in Lincoln, and he was assigned to one of the bike cases that I handled, or am handling, where we have a cyclist who was hit by a, a drunk driver who ran a red light, and Dan and his office were handling the criminal side of matters and so we had the op awesome opportunity to connect by Facebook and we've actually just finished a ride here in Lincoln this morning. Dan showed me some of the cool bike infrastructure and so thanks for being on the show, Dan. Yeah, no, it was fun today. Have you been on a podcast before? I have not. I actually had to Google what a podcast was. Oh my gosh, I love that. So have you ever listened to any podcasts then? I guess not. Not to my knowledge. Awesome. Okay. Um, what's your favorite book or what are you reading right now? reading right now um <laughs> i do read a lot for work um so reading for me in my free time is not really a stress reliever i guess sure. um between everything else i've going on i also have a lot of time to read right on which i did but well what's your uh what's your kind of other than a, a great ipa what's kind of your your release do you have like a netflix or an amazon prime I fixation I, I love archer archer okay <laughs> and what do we love about this the sense of humor. Okay. Some people find it very offensive. Um, I find it quite funny. I actually had a girl I went to law school with who I also now work with introduce me to it. And so I actually kind of blame her for the addiction. That's, it's her fault. <laughs> we always have to blame someone else for our addictions, right? That's yeah, how it works. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, you and I were talking about on the ride, uh, speaking of sense of humor being somewhat crass, about some of the stress of the work that you do and how sometimes that can be deflected with humor. Yeah. 
Um, and you said even that sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not appropriate humor. But one of the main things I wanted to talk to you is frankly about the difficult things you see in your job and yeah. how you really do compartmentalize that. How do you go from seeing the worst in humanity sort of on an eight to five basis, not to totally generalize the type of work you're doing, but you're not seeing good things. And then, you know, you're the super gregarious, positive, healthy guy sitting here with me. How do you, how do you put those two together? Um, the biggest thing is, is to, like you said, compartmentalize it, is to not let work overflow into your personal life. Sometimes it's tough, but the biggest thing for me is when the clock hits, you know, five o'clock, we'll say, is to just kind of try and shut it off and say, I, I'm done with work. I'm going to go ride my bike. I'm going to go run. I'm going to go swim, whatever it is, and leave that behind. Um, if you take it with you and let it get to you at every point in your life, it is going to uh, really start to just destroy you. I've seen people before who've kind of gone down that road, and that's the thing I guess I found for me that allows me to keep going forward even when you have a really bad day or you see some really bad stuff. Um, you have to keep living life and enjoying it. And you know, the theme of this podcast is maximum enthusiasm and really um, helping people sort of pursue their fully yeah. optimized life and kind of their best self, and, and in a way, like constructing your very best day, very best day. And so, to what to what end or to what extent does your fitness, your your exercise, your Ironman training, your bike racing play a role in that ability to process the stuff that you see? It gives you a way to vent that frustration. Um, you know, while I was swimming laps in the pool, it allows me to think about the stuff, to kind of analyze it. It gives me a chance to kind of calm down because you've stepped away from the situation that's maybe really gets you upset, angry, whatever it is and to reflect back, oh, is it really that big of a deal? Is it really going to matter? It's too easy to cop in little battles and just have those spill over into your life, and then you take those along. But, you know, there's times I went out and I ran angry, I rode angry, whatever it was, and came back. I was just like, why was I even mad in the first place? This is oh, so stupid. That's huge, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen people probably in your office who don't manage it well. Oh, and yeah. how have you seen that manifest in ways that are not good? I've seen like office phones thrown, uh, wow. I've seen things get slammed around, doors slammed, a lot of swearing, yelling, um, it's just clear that they're just, not to say you don't love your work, but they've just have taken it almost too personal and that they don't ever get away from it, um, and it, to me that just does not look healthy, or, or the other thing I've seen too is they've just completely checked out, they've just stopped wow. caring. Numbing. Yeah, they're just like, well, whatever, who really cares anymore? It doesn't matter. And, you know, they just haven't found, I guess, a way to um, distance themselves from work. It sounds like you really managed to strike a pretty healthy balance. I'm sure some days are better than others. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there are oh, shiny yeah. moments and moments that you wish you could go back and do over again. Right? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said there yeah. wasn't any of those. But, no, you seem in a pretty healthy place about the management of that, and I really respect that because... Um, a lot of us think that we have hard jobs, and then there's people in your position that, at least from my experience, it really is hard. You're dealing with both victims yeah. of terrible things as well as the perpetrators of those terrible things. Yeah. Um, so what is your why in that context? Like, what gets you up in the morning and says, I'm going to go fight battles on behalf of our city and our county and our state? The victims and their families. Um, you know, I just had a case I just finished recently, and... It was just a very frustrating case the whole time. I kept telling myself, you're doing it for the victim's family, you're doing it for the victim's family, you're doing it for the victim's family, and just had to kind of put aside my own 
pride and anger and you know I get frustrated with things and just do it and you're doing the right thing and it all worked out in the end but I think that's the thing I keep telling myself is you know these families are counting on me um, they want justice at the end of the day they don't care about my pride or anything like that they want to see the person held accountable and, and that's my job and that's a really serious role that you play in our society yeah. and so I mean I just want to thank you on behalf of the people that you serve because thank you it's a uh, uh, it's a thankless job most of the time. It is. Um, you, you guys in law enforcement, the people that are in that realm, it's pretty tough all day, every day. It's um, and and the reality is, it, there's more to come, right? There's oh, no yeah. there's no end in sight, really. Yeah, it's never oh, I get this one case resolved. Yeah. And it's, it's over. I'll never have another one. It's well, how many how many months, how many weeks until the next one right. comes in, and right. then you're dealing with it all over again. And you contacted me in the context of the case that we were working on back yeah. in April, and you said, you know, really, Megan, I'm looking at some pictures, and I'm looking at some evidence in a um, what was a, a bike fatality case, and you said, I don't know how you do this every day, and that it was affecting you and yeah. your personal riding. And um, can you share a little bit about how you've just worked yeah. through that? Um, yeah, it happened, and um, the case is almost resolved now, but um, I, I knew the individual who had been hit. Um, and killed and at first you understand you know it happened it's not a, a question if it did I kind of compare it to like in sixth grade you hear about the Revolutionary War and you, you know it happened but until you go out there to you know Boston and you, and you see the old North, North Church it just, just kind of hits you a little bit differently like this really happened that's kind of what it was and when I had to start going through the pictures and stuff is it just it just changed the dynamics of that a lot to, well, like what exactly happened, and then it's hard enough to ride not to put yourself in that exact same position and go, this is where he was, or this is you know the same position he was in, you know something like that, and it, I struggled for a long time being able to go out and uh, and ride because just I was just scared, and then kind of slowly started warming up to it. Now on the point where I feel comfortable riding on shoulders or in bigger groups, but not on a shoulder. Um, but I'm still not quite comfortable riding on a shoulderless road yet. And I don't blame you a bit. It's, uh, I think those of us who ride agree that it's sort of there by the grace of God go I, and at any yeah. moment it could be our day. And, um, and if you recall, kind of my response to you back in April was that I really came to a crossroads with those very struggles because it's what I see all day, every day, is essentially the death and destruction associated with cycling. And I kind of came to a place where I decided that if it's my day and it's how I go, that I'm you know, okay doing it, it being something that I love, but yeah. it doesn't make the fear and the trepidation any less a real thing every time yeah. we leave our door, and I will say it's given me a whole sense of, like, appreciation for just every day and every ride, and there's actually kind of a, a conscious effort to just show gratitude and thankfulness every time I make it back to my destination, because yeah. it can always go a different direction, but it's given me kind of a new awareness in a very sort of morbid way. Um, you know, to the point where I want to make sure my neighbors know to come feed my dogs if for some reason yep. I don't come home. And, <laughs> and um, so anyway, but it's definitely something that you and I both love, and we talked about our love for cycling. Yep. Um, but I want to shift gear a little bit and talk about what we, the discussion we had on the ride, too, which was this trajectory moment in life. Yes. And you shared with me that out of high school you were going to a community college to um, take some some classes and uh, yeah. tell me about that and then kind of share with me the decision you made to change course. In high school, I was uh, by no means a, a student. I, I enjoyed the friends and the sports, and uh, my philosophy was C's get degrees. And that's 
why put in more effort than I needed to, which was not the right attitude to have at the time. And coming out of high school, I really didn't have anything I was really passionate about. And it's hard for me to justify in my mind going and paying a lot of money for a degree that I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to go to uh, Southeast Community College here in town, take some classes just to kind of get some gen eds, maybe fill some things out. And one of the, they, they do quarters, and one of the quarters I decided to take a business law class. It's not like an adjunct professor, an actual attorney here in town. I, I wish I could remember his name. But I always had an interest in law. I just figured I, was, I wasn't smart enough to go do it. And I took the class and did well in it, surprisingly. Uh, I actually studied because I was kind of... Because you were into it. I was into it. And yeah. uh, he uh, said, you know what, I, I think you're smart enough. You need to go do it. I said, all right, I'll look into it. And so I was kind of exploring going to some different schools. In particular, I was looking at a smaller uh, Division three school here in town. And my concern was that some of my friends were getting involved in things that uh, were not good. And I wasn't involved in that stuff, but I just knew by association, eventually uh-huh. I would be. And the moment that I think it really just dawned on me that I needed to get out of this town was um, I, was at a, I was at a party, of course, doing things I shouldn't be doing at 18, 19 years of age. And the, going to the house, started getting a whole bunch of like threatening phone calls and stuff. I, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but. Next thing you know, he's whipping open the closet door, and there's a whole bunch of guns, and he grabs one and walks to the front door. And I just remember standing in the living room going, what is going on? What, what am I doing here? I should not be here. And I kind of made that decision. You to, just knew it in that yeah, moment. You know, like, I, I, need, I need to get out of here. And it wasn't that it wasn't the town or anything. It was like I needed to associate with better people, with new people. I needed to grow up some myself. And so that's when I made the decision to go over to Storm Lake Island for my undergrad. So total change of environment, um, yeah. evacuation in a way. Yes. And and how did that shape your trajectory, do you believe? How has that led to this life that you're living? You know, it's funny, I believe that sometimes life only makes sense in, in reverse. And I huh. look back and go, well, the opportunities I had at Buena University, I would never have had here. I think that because of those opportunities, that allowed me to get into the law school that I wanted to go to um, through just connections I made, opportunities I had, and then you know, got into law school there. From there, I was able to make more connections and get a, a clerkship at a small firm here in town. The owner of that law firm is actually pretty well connected with my then boss at the uh, county attorney's office. And when I was looking for a job, he said, you want to hire me? Because he said I would do a good job. And so, you know. Doors opened as a series of, that almost began that night, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. That was a trajectory moment for you. Yep. And so when you look back, the course that you have followed makes pretty good sense. Oh, it yeah, like. it does. Like at the time, it, a lot of things didn't make sense. Of like, you know, why is this going on? And um, one example I, I kind of realized was my senior year, I played football and I tore my knee up really bad. And as a result of that, my career was cut short. Not what I wanted, but no. at the same time, it gave me more time to study for the LSAT and focus on things I needed to be focusing on to get ready for law school. So uh-huh. at the time, I was really frustrated. Like, that was actually probably a good thing. You and I have that in common where some of our athletic passions and dreams have been cut short, and it has led to a course that is actually really allowing us, I think, to serve 
people and use our yeah. talents in a really interesting way. And sometimes the universe makes those decisions for us. Yep. Um, you shared on the ride one of the other cool side effects of that knee injury was you discovered cycling. That's how I got into cycling. I tore my ACL, MCL, PCL meniscus Oof. in the middle of a game. I was on crutches for a long time and just, I mean, physical therapy took a long time. And finally when I was done, I was just, I was, I was, I was bigger. Um, and then I uh, decided, you know, I wasn't happy with that and wanted to try and lose some weight. So I tried to run, could not run. I mean, if I ran a mile, I was, I was paying for it for about a week. My knee just hurt. And it's like, well, maybe I'll try biking. And I just had this old Schwinn that was probably like <laughs> the 1980s. And this is, I mean, this is 2008, 2009. And it's like, well, we'll just see what happens. And I remember going out and like riding five miles, and that and that was a huge accomplishment. Like I, I'm doing awesome. And then I got to like eight miles. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm good. I'm a cyclist now. <laughs> and then the goal at the end of that summer, I think it was 2009, was to ride a 20 mile round trip. And it basically, was leaving from like a trailhead going out to Roca on the Jamaican Trail and back. I think it was about 20 miles. And I did that. I just felt like I was the king of the world. And at that point, you know, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I know that now. But I. You know, I, I, was, I was so happy. You have so, to start somewhere. Yep. So I went and bought my first bike. I didn't know what I wanted, so I went to a local bike shop, and they set me up with a cross bike, and they're like, you can you know, ride the trails if you want. You can put on road tires if you want. And love that thing. Just rode that all around the place to, all through 2010. Then I gifted myself when I graduated law school as an actual road bike. It's the one that we're looking at right here. Yes. And when you were describing that process of saving uh, on a clerk salary, yeah. which is meager at best, typically, and we have loans and other expenses yep. that we're facing at the same time. Um, earlier, when you were describing the process of saving up for this bike, I could see that gleam in your eye about <laughs> just the, uh, the satisfaction that came with saving up for a bike that really you, you hold near and dear to your heart. I mean, it's seven years old. She's not in her prime anymore, but <laughs> she's uh, still my baby. <laughs> and then that? Crazily enough, you went from a guy who struggled to ride eight miles yeah. to conquering your first Ironman. That's correct, last September. And tell me a little bit about that process of going from 20 miles is a pretty big deal to I'm going to go tackle one of the most extreme athletic events. When I first got into more and into cycling, I remember kind of going on group rides, and I met a guy who had done several Ironman. He actually competed at, at Kona. And I just remember listening to him talk and just thinking, like, I am never going to have the time <laughs> or the ability to do that. And... As time progressed, I found I did have the time. I did have the, the, the ability. It was just the desire that you need to go out and do it. Um, you know, anyone who says they don't have time, I, you know, I'd say I challenge you. Absolutely. You, you absolutely have the time. You just have to have the desire to want to go do it. And I set my heart on wanting to go do an Ironman and just made a plan, stuck to it. And there's no greater sense of accomplishment than walking across the finish line. And it was walk around, whatever you want to call it at that point. <laughs> It knowing, still gave me the goosebumps just yeah. now either way. So, <laughs> of knowing that you set out to do something that you never thought was possible, and you did it, it's a great, it's a great feeling. I'm sensing that that's part of your chemical makeup. Oh yeah, I, that that kind of goes back to another story. When I was tell me when I was much younger, I uh, detasseled corn. Uh, Very typical for yeah. For people who are not familiar with detasseling, you literally walk up and down cornrows, pulling like the top off of a corn stalk to detassel it, and it is hot, miserable work. It's yeah. done mid July. Usually goes about three weeks long. It's seasonal, so you work long days. And my mom told me the very first year I did it, she goes, "I'll be surprised if you stick it out." 
challenge accepted. So I did, Thanks, for, so I did it for seven years. <laughs> just to make a point. And so, yeah. It's, I win. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Just didn't, I, I, no matter how miserable it was in the morning, it was cold, it was wet, I'm walking through mud, sometimes the irrigation would turn on. It was a miserable experience, but I did not want to go because I didn't want to give someone else the satisfaction of being right about what my limits were. Thanks, Mom. Yep. Uh, but I'm, I can just tell that this is part of who you are. You're like just one of those people that is super dependable and will rise to the challenge. And where do you think that comes from? Was there someone as a kid that, that just challenged you and you at some point made a decision that you were going to step up or where does this determination come from my parents were really good role models okay. um, you know growing up I had an older sister and two younger brothers and only my dad worked and he was a service technician for an air conditioning company so you know we never had a lot of money or anything but you know they made it work and you know he, sh he was a very hard worker always willing to uh, work long hours overtime whatever he needed to do to make ends meet and make sure that my mom was there to take care of us so I'd say he's kind of my role model in the sense that he kind of showed me that you know the value of hard work. Sure, it does pay off. What does the future hold for Dan? I don't know. Right now, um, you know, athletically, it's sort of like you hit the Iron Man. It's like, well, where, where do you go from here? And mm -hmm. I don't think that's the end by any means. I'd like to do another one someday. Um, it was just mentally and physically, I needed a little downtime because sure. I didn't. Right now, I'm doing what I love. I don't want to start hating it basically wake totally. up and go oh, I don't want to ride my bike or something and um, some kind of just recharging from that um, I don't know just what do whatever. you um, if you could foresee what your legacy is if at the end of your life looking back you're you're listening to your someone give your your speech at your funeral what's the mark that you have left I'd want them to say that I always stuck up for the little guy that you know that I always did the the right thing and you know stuck to my morals and values and wasn't willing to to compromise I think that'd be a, a really meaningful tribute it yeah. sounds like well and you certainly seem to be living that every single moment um, what what imparting words would you give a listener who's at a place in their life where they don't know what they stand for and they want to be better, they want to live a better life, they want to have better days. I believe everyone has the power to be the person that they want to be. Um, it's not always an easy road, but it's always possible. I think that if you, whatever it may be, maybe you want to go do uh, maybe gravel worlds or something like that, and you think, I can never ride 150 miles, you know, challenge yourself to, to, to go do it. And you'll be surprised at what you can accomplish if you say, I don't know what I want to, you know, do in life. You know, find something that, that you're passionate about and, and pursue it. And you never know where it's going to go. I never thought I'd, I would end up where I'm at. Um, but just whatever you find, whatever you want to do, just pursue it with passion. It sounds like sometimes you have to just follow a little lead. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say is you don't have to know what the big picture is, but if there's like a fraction of a door opening and you're thinking it feels right, you should just walk in and see where it goes from there. Right, you never know what's on the other side of that door until you push that door open and sometimes you have to just go with what you're, with what you're passionate about and you just, you don't know where it's gonna take you and don't let the fear of the unknown just stop you from following what you're passionate about. Totally. On that, 
we'll wrap it up. Thanks so much. Um, welcome to your first podcast. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs>